in thinking that and thinking about my therapy work and all the emotional work that I was doing, it kind of like became obvious that um, I wanted to make a magazine about mental health and I wanted to be design and art driven. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to creative careers. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a marketer and an illustrator. And on today's show, we're talking to Indira Rojas. She's the founder and creative director of Anxi Magazine. She runs her own design studio, and she's really had an amazing career working at Salesforce and Medium and the popular publication here in the Bay Area called The Bold Italic. On today's show, I talked to Indira about her path, about growing up in the Dominican Republic, how her unique style emerged, and how she realized she wanted to move out of the lucrative field of product design and go towards the passion of print and book design and kind of infuse those two things, the digital and the print aesthetic, into a design communication style that's truly all her own. Anxi Magazine is a mental health magazine. It's about kind of uncovering the hidden emotional lives of people. And on this episode with Indira, we talk about her own childhood trauma, how she dealt with that, how she's still dealing with that, and how she found the courage to bring that story out into the open and make it part of her public life and work. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. I think there's a lot to learn from Indira's path, and she offers some really great advice. And I also think there's an amazing strength in her story. So let's get started with my conversation with Indira Rojas. Indira, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to meet you. And I saw you speak at the Bond Conference from Backer Kit, and it was just such an incredible, moving, honest presentation. Um, the whole room was there supporting you. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing so much of your journey and your story on stage that day. And I was uh, really excited to talk to you today and learn more about your journey and what you've learned. And I'd love to start off talking about Anxi, which is the magazine that you launched not too long ago. I know the second issue on workaholism just came out. I'm sure it's something lots of people can identify with. Um, <laughs> But it's this beautiful magazine that's all about mental health and kind of our hidden, our hidden lives. But I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about it and, and how it kind of came to be. Yeah, so um, Anxi Magazine started uh, as a personal project. And I was really looking forward to creating something that could help me in my journey as I've been kind of navigating um, my own, you know, story with mental health. And I, I was really fascinated by this idea that we could use um, a little bit more design and more expression in the content that was out there around mental health. And I wanted to create a magazine that was carried all these personal stories we could, we could learn from. So Anxi Magazine is a magazine that collects personal stories, but it has a very creative lens. So it's very rich in visuals and very rich in the design. Um, and the, the idea is to bring a little bit of psychoeducation a little bit of insights through other people's journeys um, and create a space where uh, people can connect with um, others. Yeah, and I've heard you describe it as kind of like group therapy in print. Yes. I love that quote. What, what, is, what does that mean, like a, kind of a safe community? Because it's a mix of professionals writing, but also just 
you know, everyday people going through experiences. What do you hope to kind of cultivate community-wise? Well, you know, it, it's sort of community in print because I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting people, even though they can, I'm not expecting them to come together and, you know, talk about these things necessarily face-to-face, but I'm expecting them to feel connected to this bigger set of people who are also experiencing um, uh, these things. And, it, you know, in group therapy, I mean, I've done group therapy. Um, so you're, you're there to kind of witness someone else's journey and to kind of hold their experience and to, you know, in a way, put your experience in context. And, and you can experience a lot of um, gratitude or a lot of, you know, grief and, and just sort of be in it together. Um, and that's what I'm really hoping people can, can get out of the magazine when they read someone else's story. And you had a Kickstarter, and now you're at two issues. Have people come up to you? Have they talked about stories that they've read? Have they shared any any kind of journeys that have been spurred on because they read what was in the pages? Yes, I've had a few. Um, I mean, we we get emails. People tend to be sometimes general. Um, like they feel like, oh, they they would say, um, what you're doing is really important, or they would say. Um, I really needed something like this in my life. Um, but I have other stories that are are more anecdotal. For example, I have a good friend of mine who, um, you know, they have a difficult relationship with their father and she has a sibling and they were, she was talking about um, the story, the ones, we, the ones we love in issue one, in the anger issue. And she was able to use that story to kind of understand her brother's experience with with their father and how he was sort of choosing not necessarily to engage in a relationship with him the way that she um, was engaging. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really interesting when you can see people kind of take those lessons from stories and and apply them to their lives. So I really feel, you know, and I've heard other similar stories. Um, Another one that fascinated me and it, this is a an email that got in recently yeah. that I actually haven't been able to address as much as I would like to. But this teenager found angsty in Bars and Nobles, um, and she was reading um, uh, the story about Turkey in our in our issue one, and she felt so she is I'm from a Muslim community, but feels a little bit isolated where she where she's at, and she. Um, found the magazine, identified with the story, um, tried to share uh, the magazine with others and even bring it to Turkey. And she was saying that that was something risky to do because her mom was telling her um, to kind of put it away and hide it. Wow. Um, so it's, it's sort of interesting to, to just hear those stories. You decided to fund the magazine through Kickstarter. How did that come about? Like, what was your thinking kind of from a business perspective? And then you actually fund every episode, every issue through Kickstarter. So what, what is that kind of, um, you know, product cycle like? Yeah, it's, um, I've been observing other magazine makers. I, I tend to sort of be a lurker, sort of see how people are doing things and see in their progression. Um, like The Great Discontent is a good example. Um, Hello, Mr., Um, as well. Um, And what I've been trying to do is to see how they progressed and learn from their their trajectory. And I I felt that I didn't really know whether there was a market for ANSI. And I didn't really have capital to just pursue it without validating it. 
And when I was looking at people who were like trying to take it a step at a time, Kickstarter seemed like a good way of like low risk in terms of like if it doesn't get funded, maybe it wasn't a good idea. And if it does, then you have the capital that you need to put the project um, in play. Mm -hmm. But you also have your first fans um, that can help you grow. And I really love that idea about Kickstarter of, you know, making it okay to fail. At the same time, if you succeed, it kind of gives you kind of like a jump start. Right. Um, That's great. And so people are supporting the issue on Kickstarter and and by supporting it, they're kind of pre-ordering a copy? Basically. And, you know, a lot of people do their first and then they don't do it again. Um, And we were nervous to also do it for our second. But now we are going to do it for our third as well. And I do see it as a pre-order. And what we want is for our community to help us build every issue and cover um, the expenses of every issue in a way um, and help us grow sustainably. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, sometimes you get to this, this point as a creator where sometimes you have projects that you become kind of like a creative mar- martyr for, where it's like, you know, taking away from your financial resources in a way that you can get resentful about working in this thing that you're so passionate about. Right. Um, so for me, I wanted to, to sort of, you know, use Kickstarter as the platform that allows us to keep going and not necessarily have to see um, uh, the project as, as something that we need to fund ourselves. Right, like a burden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my desire is to get angsty to a place where maybe doesn't have to rely on Kickstarter. At the same time, I've been wondering, is, is there anything wrong with that? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so now you run your own creative shop. You're the founder and creative director at Anxi. Before all that, you worked at a lot of large organizations. You were at Salesforce and Medium and the Bold Italic, which was a really popular website, still is here in uh, the Bay Area. And I'm curious now that you're more on the independent side, kind of the experiences that you had in those more corporate settings in terms of creative collaboration. What did you see in those offices that, you know, you felt like aided in people coming together and, and maybe other aspects that um, really didn't facilitate as much creativity as now you get as kind of an independent operator? Mm-hmm. There's a, a few aspects that I couldn't see at the time that I see now. Um, one of them is how important my role at the Bowl Italic and at Medium was in uh, teaching me how to work with editors, how to work with writers, and how to do art direction. Um, with the Bowl Italic, that started a very like at a very early stage where I was the main designer for the team. So I was freelancing, designing stories for them, but also helping the editors put the stories together and doing their newsletter and all that stuff. And there's an editorial cycle there that you don't really learn in school. And I, I find that to be like one of the most high value experiences I've had at the Bull Italic and, and Medium similarly, because I was working with the publication arm within the, within the, the company, I got to, to learn what it takes to take something from a draft and then you know, do more reporting and cut it down mm-hmm. and, and figure out what is, you know, the main point of this. Right. Um, and, and back channel on, on Medium yes. is something you worked on, a really popular publication. Yeah, I, I did the identity for that and art directed, you know, 
um, a few of the the starting pieces and you know set the the visual design tone. Yeah. Um, and when you get to work with people that that caliber like Stephen Levy and and just sort of see their process and be part of it, you learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and and that was definitely the most enriching that I see in form is the work that I'm doing with Anxi and and sometimes the work that I'm doing independently. Yeah. And in terms of environments. They are sort of trade-offs that you do as an independent person and, and working in-house. I feel like sometimes working in-house, you can feel the limitation if you're in an environment that is not design-focused or design-centered. Um, you can be in an environment that is not inducive to creativity. Right. I, I struggle with that, for example, at Salesforce, where... It felt almost like too corporate. Like you walk in and you're like in a great. I mean, we even have a in the our on our floor we had open open platform, but even then I I did feel sort of like I was like I was not in a suit, but it's almost like you're walking into a suit and going into the <laughs> because it's um, it's it's such like hard lines and cold yeah, kind of feel to it. In a lot of conference rooms and you know like you know I always like to compare like the work environment at Salesforce versus IDEO. Right. right. Um, which I also interned at IDEO. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, toys around and balloons and like, you know, anything that would take you out and get you in this plain, playful mind. And I sometimes feel that when I, when I choose to be independent, I'm looking to create that environment for me that enables creativity rather than um, kind of like feels uninspiring sometimes. Yeah. And do you hop in and out of kind of independence work work wise and work mode? Do you do you kind of work on your own projects, have clients and then sometimes hop back into full-time positions? It right now I'm all I started just freelancing and now I'm just doing consulting and I have a team. I have a senior designer and a junior designer and a project manager. So I'm going from consulting for clients to um working on Anxi. But I, one decision that I made is I, I don't work, go in-house. Because um, one, one of the things that I learned is like I'm very affected by the environment. If I'm not inspired, I can't produce my best work. So I try to encourage my clients to let me work in the environment I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and now I've, I've been doing design for you know enough years that if I ask for that, it gets granted. Yeah. Um, and so when you started, when you went independent, were you just consulting just you and, and when did you now you have like a, a small agency yes and it was very i it was a small progression i was trying to be very careful so it was first it was just me and i would i would start with you know small agencies that wanted me to do work and i would just do like a one freelance you know one-off or um uh, uh, with keepsafe for example that you mentioned earlier i i consulted with them we were friends so it was easier to, for me to w go into their environment and kind of get out of their environment um and it was just me at the beginning and then i started with a junior designer this is um amazing a designer called alma avila who i met i met through uh, a teacher at cca and um, i went to a class where she was presenting a magazine that she was doing on first generation immigrants and i was just so moved by her talent and and the the story she wanted to tell and I reached out to Eric Hyman, who was um, her teacher, and, and I connected with her and just started me and junior designer. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started getting more requests for work. Then I added uh, the senior designer. So, you know, I, I try to like grow it organically because I've always been afraid of this idea of finding yourself in a place where you're biting more than you can shoot. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, and I, I've had, I actually, I have done that. 
Um, so I, I've been kind of trying to see like, how do I make it sustainable without it, you know, overtaking you? Yeah. Because you're balancing that work with angsty. Correct. So what's happened in those moments when you bit off more than you can chew? Like what, what happened? <laughs> um, well, I did try to have a design studio before called Design Theorem. And it was in this, at this stage where I was trying to do more interaction and product design. And I was teaching at CCA. And I also had this crazy idea of starting a um, co-working space in Dominican Republic. Wow. Um, Which is where you're from originally. Yes, this is where I'm from. And, yeah. and I was really excited about the culture of innovation and design thinking and, and thinking like, wow, if we can just recreate this space in, in the DR for, you know, uh, technology people and, and you know, uh, design people and makers to come together and, and teach them these processes that they can carry through to, to create companies and create technology and businesses. Like, wouldn't that be great? At the same time, <laughs> I was like, you know, trying to be independent through design. And, and it was a weird time. You probably, you know, if you've been in the Bay Area, it's like a lot of organizations eventually got to the point where they decided, actually, we cannot hire external people to do our product design um, because we need to move faster we need to learn more right and it's just like too much kind of back and forth and and if you're not embedded you're not learning of like the shifts that are happening right um and we were in the, at that point where that started to happen and you know my business partner and i were like if we want to do this if we want to really want to learn how to properly do product design, we have to go in-house um, because doing a consultant for this type of work is no longer feasible. And now I, I find myself kind of avoiding that work um, in my business now because I know that if I want to do it properly, I just might as well do it embedded in you know that product team. That's so interesting, the nuances of the kind of design work, the kind of environments, the needs and all that, and being so tuned in. I mean, maybe being forced to confront it, but being tuned into kind of like a nuanced path so you can stay independent and service clients' needs with the right the right things. Right. So you didn't have the passion to, to just do product design enough that you were like, well, I love doing that, so I want to work in whatever capacity that is. Right, and, and that's something that took me a while to discover, Mainly because when, you know, I studied my first two years of graphic design in Dominican Republic, actually. Um, and I, I did what is the equivalent of, of associate's degree. And I got a scholarship to go to Parsons. But the two years, so one year is a fundamental year, similar very here to, to how it is here in the U.S. where you do drawing and color and, and composition and it's more abstract. And then you do the second year and your focused degree, which is graphic design. And I just wanted to design books. Um, and if you look at a lot of my work when, you know, from, from being at Altos de Chavon, it, it was mostly oriented around editorial design. When I got to Parsons, I was still very passionate about designing books. And then I learned more about how the publishing industry works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also... Um, I used to work in publishing oh, yeah. at Simon & Schuster. <laughs> and then I went digital and uh, went yeah. to Google. So, but, you know, that, that career path had, you know, uh, had a specific... Uh, growth pattern that wasn't necessarily the most financially, financially, how you say, uh, financially, financially feasible yeah, yeah. Uh, trajectory. Yeah, yeah. And it sometimes took many years for you to get to the place where 
you could be leading a project. Or, sure. Um, so, so I then started going into uh, uh, advertising and, and kind of found um, this advertising agency called AR Media that was doing a lot of fashion and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Elita Harry, Chimichu. And it, I was very attracted to the photography and the fashion and the glamour of it. Um, but, but then I learned that I, could, it felt, I felt limited. I wanted to understand design from a more, um, not just kind of form making, mm -hmm. but also as a problem solving and as a way of kind of seeing the world in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got into CCA. So when I went to CCA and I had to choose a path, you could choose a path that was more form making or you could choose the interaction design path. And I, you know, it was, I went to CCA in 2008. The iPhone had just come out in 2007 and it was very clear to me that that was the future. And I was like, well, I want to be in the next generation of designers. So I, I studied interaction design. And what I discovered is that even though I'm a systems thinker and even though I, I definitely can engage in the type of making, I feel like at the end of the day, I, 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 you know, my experience at Medium was trying to recreate print right. for the web, right? right? Reimagining print for right. for this generation, and and I, a Medium is gorgeous. Yes, yeah, so I keep coming back to print, and that's why I realized like maybe product design is not for me because I keep coming back to print. Um, when was that? That's when I left. When I left Medium, I I just sort of I started thinking about the things that I enjoyed doing. Um, and I started thinking about what feels rewarding for me. Um, and the idea of a magazine has always felt like something, I, the idea of a book, right? Yeah. Um, I was, how can I get back to making for that format that I really love? Yeah. Um, and that's how everything kind of came together. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our partner, Scout Books. They are an incredible company based in Portland, Oregon, and they make customized notebooks. So if you're a company or a brand or an individual working on your own creative pursuit, you can work with Scout Books to create really brilliant, beautiful, small notebooks. And I'm so excited to offer Making Ways listeners 15% off their first order with code MAKINGWAYS. So use Making Ways at checkout and you'll get 15% off. Scout books are printed on 100% recycled paper. They have beautiful inks and pages. I'm actually working on a Making Ways notebook for you all. And I'm going through the process now and it's been super fast and simple. So I'm excited for you guys to check out Scout Books. Visit scoutbooks.com to learn more. And let's get back to the show. What What's the... Like, let's zoom in a little bit. Like, when you left Medium and you had this kind of realization that you you wanted to focus more on the things that you love doing and is fulfilling, what was happening for you internally at that moment? Were you conflicted in terms of, you know, a, a trajectory in Silicon Valley where you could have maybe gone up the ladders in technology if you had stayed on that track versus, you know, something maybe totally different than you hadn't imagined before how long did it take you to come to terms and like what was your process right I think um it's funny because my time at medium also coincided with me finding a therapist here in San Francisco um where before I was still talking to my therapist in New York and it was really cool um because she is also from kind of Latin background 
And I was doing a lot of, I realized now, I was doing a lot of heavy emotional work. And that meant that if you're in a startup environment where it is stressful because you're trying to move fast yeah. um, and priorities are shifting and managers are coming in and out um, and teams are growing and sometimes, you know, um, becoming smaller, things can get pretty difficult to navigate. And I found myself in one of these situations where the company was going um, to an, into another shift and not really finding my, my footing there. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, as a Latina in the startup community, we're a really small percentage um, of people um, who are doing design work um, for, for tech. And it's, if, we, if you don't see yourself represented and if you don't see yourself represented in the higher tiers of you know, executive uh, uh, positions, it's, it's really hard for you to feel like you're going to grow there and you're being understood and, and um, kind of valued. So, so I, I felt like those kind of two things kind of collided, the emotional work that I was doing and like the difficulty of navigating that environment. And, and I just needed like I needed to step away. And in that stepping away, um, I, in a way... Because I've been freelancing, like when I got to Parsons, I would, the first thing I started doing was just freelancing through Craigslist. Because okay. <laughs> I knew, you know, like I, I had a basically like a graphic design degree by right. the time I got to Parsons. Right. So, and I needed to, you know, make money on the side because I got my scholarship only covered um, the tuition. It didn't cover anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, worst case scenario, I'll continue to hustle doing <laughs> right. freelance right. while I figure out. But for the moment, I need to remove this variable from my life. Right. Um, and, and then I... So you went back to it. You had done it on the side way back right. in Parsons. You said, fine, while I figure out what I really want to do, I'll just freelance for now. Yeah, right. and sort it out. Yeah. And, and that's how I, you know, in that space, then I started going back to what are the things that have always felt rewarding to me? Telling stories, um, facilitating others telling their story, um, print and form making, um, connecting to a, a kind of deeper understanding and meaning of why we're here and what's the purpose of what we're trying to do. And in thinking that and thinking about my therapy work and all the emotional work that I was doing, it kind of like became obvious that um, I wanted to make a magazine about mental health and I wanted to be design and art driven. And I wanted to continue to just be independent because that way I could be more in control of my environment, more in control of um, the people around me and the people that I bring into my space. Um, and I could just, you know, make my own path, which I've always been uh, inspired about. Yeah. Was there any space between the expectation either you had for yourself or the expectation you felt others had for you and the reality of what you just really wanted to do? Was there any space there that you had to kind of come to terms with? Or was it was it more like fluid and natural? I think that, you know, when you come from an environment in which, you know, there's not massive wealth and you see the wealth that is being created through technology, you want to participate in it. And, you know, coming from interaction design at CCA and having, you know, having the talent to do that work, I always felt like the future of tech is the product designer. Um, and I wanted to participate on that. And at the same time, I felt like I emotionally couldn't engage. So part of me had to, in a way, decide that, you know, I might 
that it might not be for me and I might not, um, you know, participate in that economy as I would have liked because being independent, um, you know, it's, it's a different economy. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that it took me a little while to kind of realize that part of it was this idea that I could make it big and it could make a really big difference in my life. And, and then realizing that maybe I could make it in a different way. And that's not necessarily the life I wanted to live or, or that there are other ways to get there type of thing. And we talked a little bit about the back in the DR, and I know you came to design through a love of photography. How did, how did that come about? Like, when did you get into photography and when did you realize, oh, I want to kind of have a career in, in <laughs> art and design? Because you've also talked about how in the, in the DR, that's not like, cool, that's one of the careers you can be. You can go out and be a designer. That was not like normal. It's kind of funny because this is a really weird, um, again, like one of those things that happen. So my parents are civil engineers. So the idea of making and being able to, they, they build schools, they build roads, they build, you know, hospitals. So the understanding that you could go from blueprint to an actual thing in the world, and they've owned their business their whole lives. Um, both of them work together and, you know, part of you know, some of the constraints around our relationship is like work was always sort of like there. Um, but the idea of making was something that I've observed. It was, you know, there's some creative, you know, creative and artistic expression in construction. And so I started from there. And, and once I went, you know, I went to the school where, you know, art and making was really, you know, part of the curriculum. And so I was really curious about photography. And there was this teacher that started a dark room at my high school, which is really unusual. It's super tiny. Yeah. But I could shoot my own film and develop it and, and just, you know, see it. And I think that I started just exploring how far I could go with photography. That same uncle that I think gave my dad the computers also gave him cameras. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I, I remember having a camera that I could use and, and um, you know, just taking pictures of the things around me and, and, and just sort of trying to see where I could take that. Yeah. And as a designer, I think most designers have a love for photography because it's about composition and it's about you know, finding balance and it's about looking at details and finding what's beautiful and, and, and learning about your personal taste and aesthetic. And I think photography did that for me. It sort of created a, 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 a space where I could, in a way, find expression um, through just through observation and capturing and, and sort of being curious about why I was interested in capturing what I was capturing. Yeah. And, and, and I see that in, even when I went to Parsons, I took a lot of photography classes and it was always about, you know, kind of connecting with things in the world and capturing them, whether it was people. Um, I also like to take a lot of pictures of the vernacular uh, buildings and old signs. And, and I could see through my photography that I, I enjoyed understanding people and capturing you know, their essence in a way or their, or their, their, their spirit. Yeah. And I also love design. Like I love type and I loved, so weirdly because I loved photography, my first job out of high school was working at this place that could print uh, large scale photography. They had this machine that would develop like large scale photography and all these artists would go there 
to for their exhibitions and they would print these really big pictures and I would mount them on phone board uh-huh. and like do all this crazy stuff. <laughs> but I met this designer there because she would use this, she would design these beautiful catalogs of other people's artwork. And I'm like, I need to meet this lady. Yeah. Like, who's the lady doing all these cool catalogs? <laughs> and she, her name is Olga Valdez and she was an alumni from Altos de Javon. Oh, and, wow. And she, and I could see her work and I was like, I want to do stuff like that. Yeah. I think I designed this weird brochure with my little like Microsoft Word <laughs> skills and she saw it and I was like, you know, like yeah, I can do this. And you she hired to, me. To, she hired you. <laughs> yes. She hired me as, you know, I was going to this university to study. You can't really study graphic design in the DR unless you go to Chavon. So when you go to like the colleges that are in the city, you have to go to Unibe or you have to go to study advertising because advertising is a huge industry in the DR. So I was studying advertising, but I was like, I don't want to make campaigns about promotional whatever. (laughs) And I saw the work that she did and like, I would rather do that. I would rather put images in a book and, you know, typeset it and play with that. And she hired me. I learned about Chavon through her. I decided to shift from the degree that I was getting um, at Unibe and basically go to Chavon to get a graphic design uh, degree. Wow. And and if it hadn't been because of photography, I wouldn't have met her and I wouldn't have discovered Chavon and all these things. And then once I was in Chavon, photography wasn't really part of the curriculum, but I was now in love with uh, graphic design because you could could pictures together and tell a story. And and I w- I've always been fascinated by the stories you can tell through the sequence of things, um, and through the sequence of images. If you go to an exhibition or if you see a photo book for an artist, right. you know, the, the rhythm of that, you know, tells a story in and out of itself. What advice do you tell students nowadays? I know you, you used to teach at CCA, but I'm sure there's lots of people still reaching out to you for advice. What do you tell you know, students who are thinking about going into design or looking to, um, you know, graduate and then and then get into a specific field. What kind of advice do you give them about moving into the the world of design? The best ad- advice I've ever received is to kind of try to try try it all before you commit to something, because design is so vast. I mean, you have product design, you have packaging design, you have identity, you have icons, you know, like there's so many things you can do. Sometimes you kind of pigeonhole yourself in, in an area. And I think like giving yourself space to experiment and, and find what you connect with within the craft, I think is it takes it takes time to just willing to just explore. Right. So I don't think you need to, you know, decide on a path early on. You can just see what's out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I would recommend people people do that. And actually, I'm, I'm curious, with Anxie, with all these things, how much do you feel art, creativity, uh, making kind of plays into mental health and happiness for creative people, for yourself, and, and for, for everyone? I think that, you know, the role of art is expression. And and whether you do it yourself or you observe others' creation, and, and we need that. We need that for relief. We need to see something we identify with or 
make something that allows us to communicate something that we can otherwise not say. And, and that's where I feel that, you know, art plays a role in mental health in allowing us to process and allowing us to reflect, to sort of connect with something that we couldn't otherwise articulate. And, and it's sometimes art plays a role in that way. And we weren't even not conscious about it. Just thinking about music, for example, you know, there's some songs that move me in ways that I'm like, I don't understand why this is, I just want to cry right now. <laughs> right. And, and, and it might not even like be your favorite artist. You know <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, I, I feel like when I see the, the, the role that art has played in my life in sometimes helping me feel connected and centered in circumstances where I wouldn't, I would otherwise not. I feel like it's important in our lives. Yeah. And I do want to talk about, there was this time that you were, you were discussing where you're leaving medium, you had found a therapist here and part of you launching Anxi was actually coming forward and discussing your own personal childhood trauma story. And I think it's just incredibly powerful and brave and beautiful of you to share that with so many people and um, connect and create um, you know, uh, comfort around having that kind of conversation. And I just wanted to ask you about what that was like to go public with and um, just kind of how you got the, the courage to, to put yourself out there like that. Yeah, I think that there is, once you're at a certain stage in your, you know, work, in your inner work once you kept something secret for that long and in a way something that you were supposed to hide i think that you need that breakthrough to be able to say you know i'm okay it's not it's not going to it's not going to kill me for people to know that this happened i'm not going to be rejected if people know that this happened and sort of being able to kind of recuperate occupying that space because when you hold such a shameful thing for such a long time, you kind of take, you know, take yourself away from certain spaces and for, for things that you deserve to have or, or that, you know, from your personal worth and, and just making yourself vulnerable in that way and sort of seeing that the world can be a safe space. Um, it's really important. And, and I think that a lot of us, I don't think it's for, I don't, I don't think everyone needs to do that. It was important for me um, because it was something that I, I felt that, you know, oh, if people only knew they would, you know, they, they would see me as damaged. Um, and, and what I'm learning through sharing my story is that I can, I can share it. And and I can feel safe, and and that that history is not um, sort of driving my life. Yeah, and you don't have to necessarily have that reserve of energy, kind of internally right. protecting it and making sure that the the walls are up around it and the guards are surrounding it at all times. The 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 bandwidth that has opened up for me creatively of just sort of 
that sense of release that I felt just being like, you know, here it is. This is it. <laughs> it it's it's I think it has fueled me with with um kind of like a refreshed sense um of my creative life. Um and yeah, I think that, you know, we spend a lot of time just ruminating ruminating in that. Is that the word ruminating? Ru- uh, ruminating? <laughs> ruminating, yeah. Ruminating, in in yeah. that like just in that in that gray blobby mess of uh right. of shame and and secrets right um and and yeah i feel like there the the difficulty of that is it doesn't that doesn't make it all disappear and it doesn't mean like i'm living a wonderful life now there's so much grief that happens even after that and so much that you have to relearn to um do and and like right now i'm working so hard on 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 seeing the effects of of trauma and my emotional regulation and how small things can be really affecting even though they shouldn't be and how do i retrain my neurological system to you know kick in those moments of relaxation so i'm not in a con- constant state of stress which is what my body learned because of the trauma and and i think that i f- i find that sometimes people think that oh you served your you ser- you've you've told your story you've shared your journey look how successful your magazine is aren't you like isn't the your work done aren't you back to normal <laughs> like, <laughs> right, i guess right, like right. the back to normal would be no that 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 will never happen is a life's journey and i will always carry that regardless of how much i've been able to integrate it into my life and regardless how much i've been working to sort of like make okay the things that were very difficult for me at, at an earlier age yeah just because you put it out there that doesn't mean that it's like <laughs> that it's be- you leave it behind you right <laughs> it's just a moment where you got to um you know release it and release the energy around it in some ways but it's always it's always there you know what's funny of that bond experience i was sharing it with my lovely therapist um (laughs) and i could feel the energy in the room um where you were there i was there yeah you know that moment i almost lost it and people started applauding i felt like this vibration just sort of like almost like a sound wave and and you know she kind of mentioned yeah like like that was as a release and people were able to hold that experience and I was able to feel that I can share that and it is okay I think that that is the value of that if if that is the right thing for you um, and for me I feel like I I sort of I kind of needed it yeah no in the in the audience that's exactly right there was this energy where I think every single person wanted to tell you that you were loved and supported and maybe just find some way to give you comfort. And in that setting of being at a conference, I think everyone kind of felt that in the same moment. And then it was like, well, we can clap as a way to basically show that this is all okay and that we're we're here for you. So to hear it from your side, that you felt that energy is is really wonderful because it was there was something happening back and forth that um that i 
I've never experienced before. Yeah, I, so. I, it was, I was so moved. It was, uh, and I went, out and I was so like amped afterwards too. It was, yeah, it was definitely. I think it, it's given me, um, you know, more. I, I feel more comfortable in my own skin in a way of that. And I could, I watched the video actually. I was so nervous. <laughs> like I was like, I was like shaking and. <laughs> But I, I, I kind of felt like it was a rewarding experience. Yeah. Well, I love that you have taken um, all of this energy around personal growth and a really brilliant uh, design career. And I just, I love your work. I really just love the the look and the feel of the things that you create and the fact that you've kind of used your story as a way to open up dialogue and create a platform for this kind of group therapy and print with Anxi <laughs> is um, is just really amazing. So I, I really appreciate uh, your time and joining the show and I've, I've really loved meeting you. Thank you, same here. You've been such a wonderful host and I couldn't ask for a better experience. I appreciate it. That's great, thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. That was my conversation with Indira Rojas. Indira, thank you so much for joining the show, being so open and giving in, sharing more of your story. I think listeners are really going to take so much away, not only from your path and the advice that you share, but also the courage that you have in telling more of your story. I highly recommend that you all check out Anxi Magazine. Go to anxymag.com, that's A-N-X-Y mag.com, and learn all about the magazine. It is gorgeous. I was not kidding around. It's a beautiful uh, physical object and it's packed with amazing stories that are really touching and moving and inspiring. Be sure to go to makingways.co where we'll have links to the talk that Indira did at the Backer Kit Bond Conference. We'll have links to more of her work and you can check out more show notes and my illustration of Indira as well. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix too. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you soon.